What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Blue and Gold Make Darlene. As always, I'm Brendan. I'm Taylor. What? I know. Really? I told you, I don't like it. This is the first time in, like, months. Yeah. Well, I no, I think I did it a couple episodes ago. Did you? Yeah. Uh, I'm out of ideas. Blame. All right, well. <laughs> if they're not trying, I'm not trying either. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, everybody. Well, we are back with our Thursday episode. Very excited to uh, once again be talking about the Sabres. I don't know really if excited is the word to use, but we're here, you know. Uh, And we are very, very, what we are excited about, though, is that we are welcoming back a guest that we had on earlier this season who was a great chat, great to follow on Twitter, all-around cool dude. Uh, Kevin, you may know him as... uh, nt rider 825 kevin we talked about this before and taylor and i need to get it cleared up is it like n trider is it nt rider like what is the what's the meaning of the twitter handle i have yeah i have no preference or idea i first joined twitter just to lurk and i have no idea what the relevance of that was at the time in my life (laughs) so i just kept it i don't know it's it's whatever you want it to be that's the magic of it so was that? it initially intended to be Knight Rider? I, I guess. I mean, like I said, I really – I don't even remember. I had Twitter for like 10 years barely using it <laughs> before I actually – like I just followed and, you know, um, I don't know. I just lurked. So I can't really tell you the meaning or the uh, the motivation behind it, but here we are. It's like a it's like a song, you know. It's whatever your interpretation of it. That's what makes it more special. Yeah, yeah. We so we thought <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, our, it's art. Exactly. We thought it was Entrider, and then uh, WGR's TJ Luckman was like Knight Rider, and I was like, Oh my god! What a goddamn moron I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that um, uh, I went on uh, Chris uh, the. Uh, two in the box podcast and i think he said the same as you guys so i guess it's like it's one of those things how you know like some people look at a picture and they see one color and other people see another color it's just one of those things i've found a special uh like you know human behavior experience or something i love it i love it that's awesome well like i said before we're very excited to uh have you back um so i i guess just a general thought to start things off hi <laughs> How you feeling about everything with this season since we talked? Uh, yeah, I think like one of the themes that when I was on last time was that they had an opportunity to um, try to capitalize on what was a a great run of Eichel games, and well, he kind of kept continuing it, and they just didn't really do anything to supplement, and so here we are, and they had a couple injuries, but um, just a really, really obviously disappointing couple months. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't really have a lot of, I, I certainly still pay close attention and, and watch them and try to get as much enjoyment out of, out of it as I can, but it just really feels like a wasted opportunity to me. Yeah. I mean, I would say enjoyment and the Sabres are, are words that normally should not go together in sentences. So I, I no. completely agree. Yeah. That. It seems like things, uh, they were bad and they were trending down pretty much since they went nine, two and one. But Skinner and Olafson getting hurt in quick succession uh, really ramped things up, and or or the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and but it seems like Olafson's going to be back this week. So, what what do we think that means? Because they've had they've struggled to do a lot of things, but nothing more than scoring goals. And Olafson for nine years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But Olafson actually 
he scored a lot of goals in the first half. He was on pace for more than 30 if he didn't get hurt. So what do we think this is going to mean? Anything? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a it's an interesting spot because really, um, you know, I liked him uh, on that top line. Uh, I think he settled in nicely there. But the that top line is uh, the the Reinhard Eichel combination has pretty much scored at a, an elite rate with anybody this year, including Jimmy Vesey recently. Um, so I'm not really sure how much it's going to impact the goal scoring if they just put Olsson back on that top line at least not at even strength, um, you know, because that just pushes VZ down to a different line where he's not as effective. Uh, but, I, you know, he'll certainly help the power play, which I just have seen enough Marcus Johansson one-timers for an entire life. I think we all um, So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I think, you know, for me, it's, it's just maybe more interesting in terms of what to expect from, um, you know, what to expect from uh, – for as far as the contract moving forward, he's an RFA. Olsen's an RFA this off season. I think that's a really interesting uh, contract opportunity. And uh, for him personally, he has a chance to make himself a good amount of money. So, um, you know, from that perspective, it's interesting. I'd like to see, uh, like to see him pick up where he left off because he was one of the bright spots, certainly before he went down. Yeah, I think that you make a good point there that really how Olafson plays down the stretch is going to be one of the things that's actually worth looking forward to with the Sabres because of that contract. You know, it's not every day that you have somebody in his position where you have, you know, a 24-year-old rookie who has experience, you know, playing pro hockey who, you know, just kind of like steps into the NHL and then immediately is, you know, Mm -hmm. on pace to score 30 goals. I mean, how do you really evaluate a contract with that? You know, is it an overvaluing thing? Is it, you know, this is only like your first year, so you really have to continue to prove this? I mean, I'm going to be fascinated as to how those negotiations go, you know, moving forward and as we get into the offseason. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? I would certainly try to go long-term with him. I mean, here's a chance to uh, lock up a player who only has one year, uh, you know, who's only getting paid off one year. If I'm correct, he does have arbitration rights, which is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, I, the, the MO of this organization tends to be we want to wait and see more, and I just I don't, I don't see any way that that results in them, you know, not to – them getting any kind of a deal i took a look at for some comparables a couple months ago uh, right before he was hurt it's really really obviously hard to find players had arbitration rights with only one year of uh, of production i think the two closest comparables i found were uh, yanni gord in tampa bay and uh jonathan marcheseau who had one big year with florida Um, and, and if you look at those two comparables you sort of adjust for um, you know, cap increases and maybe adjust a little bit for the fact that goals tend to be a little more expensive than assists. I came in around um, uh, five and a half or so, maybe just above five and a half on a five-year deal. And I think I would sign up for that right now. That's that's a nice um, locking in some nice cap savings, in my opinion. Um, the other option, of course, would be to bridge him. But I don't. I mean, what happens if you bridge him and he scores 32 goals two years in a row? That's that's eight and a half million, you know, mistaken, right. That, yeah. Well, right. He also would have the option to just take two arbitration awards and and hit UFA, which I don't, I wouldn't think that's likelihood for him. He's only been here a year. There's a, um, 
probably a lower chance of that. I, I just, if you told me right now, you know, five by five and a half, I would sign up for it. I would too, I would say. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, uh, the, well, the reason why, I mean, aside from obviously your insight and everything that we wanted to have you on, though, was because of a tweet, uh, a few tweets of yours, actually, that kind of led to a greater conversation um, that started. Taylor, do you want to kind of dive into Yeah, that? so you you had a thread, so I'm obviously, you know about that, but for the listeners, Kevin talked a little <laughs> bit about on Twitter uh, the fact that he believes that forwards carry a lot more value than defensemen in general in the NHL, the way the, the game is played right now. Uh, that's interesting for a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons it's, it's so interesting is because the Sabres uh, basically seem to think the opposite. Uh, Botchel, uh started this year with basically a dozen guys who could play in the NHL. For, or more defensemen than forwards. That yeah. is the Sabres' philosophy. It seems that way. <laughs> he drafted 31st overall. He drafted another defenseman. They have a number of guys in Rochester who theoretically could be up. They have a, a bunch of – they have been rotating through basically 10 guys this whole year, depending on injuries. So they don't seem to think that. But it's an interesting idea because it seems, especially the way the game is played right now, and maybe even in the past, who knows, that this is uh, a worthwhile idea to explore. Uh, and especially as we learn more and more through the years, through analysis and this type of thing about things that we were wrong about uh, – it seems like it's something to consider, especially moving forward. So, Kevin, can you kind of go at least into a little bit of detail about why why you think that or why you're starting to think that? Yeah, so um, I, I would just – to start off as far as it specific to the Sabres, you know, ideally you're going to build a team that's strong. I and mean, this is just so obvious I, I don't need to say it, but you want to have a team that's strong in both areas. Um, so – it's not ideal to try to win with more uh, with an imbalanced roster uh, one way or another. You obviously want a balanced roster. You you want to acquire the best players you can. And that's what makes a good team. It's really simple, but um, yeah, I've spent some time looking into um, what we currently have. And and there's two main areas of of focus for me. And one would be um, a, a lot of you are probably familiar with Micah McCurdy, who runs Hockey Viz, um, and he, he produces what's called an isolated impact for each player. And an isolated impact is a measurement of how a, how a given player um, impacts uh, offensive threats for and how well they uh, basically restrict threats against when they're on the ice. And the important thing to remember is that this takes into consideration every, every factor that we know of, which would be who are your lines, who, is, who are your teammates, who are you on the ice with, who are you on the ice against, where are you starting your shifts, what's the score state. So, it, you know, it's, it's not a perfect measure, and Mike is, con- you know, constantly doing work to improve it, but it's a pretty robust look into um, how a player is affecting play, and you might have seen these charts before. They're the blue and red <laughs> um, heat maps yeah. with uh, player cards. And then along with that, uh, another uh, great website, uh, EvolvingHockey.com, that puts out um, their version of the same idea, which would be um, season-specific. So they're not taking into account within a given season any prior seasons, but that's uh, those are the charts you'll see, blue and red bars. It's kind of a funny thing. Everybody knows the blue and red bar charts. <laughs> or purple, yes. I guess. I see yes. blue. I don't know. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> um, but – 
Yeah, they also uh, do produce a, a war metric, which for those of you familiar with all know that wins above replacement, which is a um, an attempt to find a single metric value of each player. And if you look deeply into those, there's a couple things that's happening that are happening. As far as single value metric goes, defensemen are impacting the game at a much lower rate than most forwards, meaning the replacement level for a defenseman is quite a bit different than that of a forward, which suggests that a couple things could be happening. Either defensemen, something about the game of hockey itself means that defensemen have less of a direct impact on what happens on the ice than we know of, or coaches pick the wrong defensemen, so they're playing bad ones (laughs) um, and giving them too much ice time. If you look into Micah's... (laughs) Well, right. And that's, that. It's kind of why it's interesting to me because Buffalo is kind of a petri dish for this. We have a couple things happening here. We have this huge investment in, in defensemen at the expense of forwards, but we still give the most ice time to a guy who might not be good at all. Or, you know, <laughs> so, right. um, and if you look into Micah's model, the isolated impact, uh, what really kicked this off for me was a comment that he had made in a conversation with someone else that right now in his isolated impact model, about 70% of all defensemen uh, grade out as negatively impacting play. Uh, he followed that up in, in the thread the other day by saying, you know, I'm, I'm working on some tweaks to things, and I think it's going to s- slightly lessen that. But Mike, you know, he came right out in that thread and said, I'm not sure if this is something inherent in the game itself, but I am pretty sure, sure that coaches don't know how to properly allocate minutes to defensemen, and that's a big reason for what we're seeing. Um, and so, really, those are the things that kind of kicked off me looking into this. And just from a like a theoretical basis, what interested me was, and I, I won't get too far down the rabbit hole here, but if you look at other sports, you know, over time, in each sport, there, there are fundamental changes to the way we think about the game. Baseball has devalued beginning starting pitchers, right? We see teams going to their bullpen more and more, shifting more and more. Basketball, I don't know about you guys. When I was growing up, every team, you weren't going to win. You need a big center. You got to throw it down in the post, right? Yep. Now, you, that is out the door. I mean, a, a center in basketball now has to play defense and spread the floor. And everything is three-point shooting and, and small and going small and switching. And even in, uh, in football, what, I mean, what's the big change over time? We're not going to pay running backs anymore. We're not going to pay middle linebackers. We're paying edge rushers. It's all passing game, quarterbacks, wide receivers, so on. And that's not to say that, that there's any – that's not a negative. You know, we're constantly learning new things about any endeavors. It's completely logical to me that this type of inefficiency could and really theoretically should exist in hockey. And I think it makes some sense what I'm seeing to say, hey – our defensemen, whatever, is the way that we play hockey, the way that the modern game is played, are defensemen able to impact the game at the kind of consistent level that forwards do? And I think that even if you say, no, I don't believe they do, uh, you do have to acknowledge, like I said, that there's, a, there's, there's an inab- seemingly an inability for, of coaches to identify and play uh, the best defensemen most minutes, or maybe more than that, to not play the worst defenseman <laughs> uh, a number of minutes. And then, of course, 
just like anything, there are, there are major exceptions to this. All, every model I've spoken of says that there are certain defensemen who impact the game at a high, high, high level. So I don't want to sit, you know, I'm not trying to say every defenseman is useless. You should play five forwards all the time, but I just think it, it asks, it, it begs a lot of interesting questions. And then when you look at the Sabres <laughs> as a team that I think we all sat around all summer and said, well, gee, they really improved their blue line. They should be better. And it just doesn't get them better. And I think that that should cause us to ask questions about why. One thing I think when you said there's something maybe inherent in the game that makes forwards more valuable, I think definitely part of that is the fact that forwards play, I think, such more important role, especially a center in the defensive zone than most defensemen do in the offensive zone. Most defensemen, not all of them. But also there's this right. idea too that defensemen, if they play perfectly in, in their own zone, uh, they're reliant on a goalie to stop them. Like when we're talking about, uh, you know, like Corsi, I guess, for example, a team we all know now that a team that not, has a good Corsi can be better or worse than their Corsi based on if they have more skill, better special teams, or bad, good, good or bad goaltending. Uh, now, a, a defenseman mm-hmm. is plays perfectly, and they can limit the amount of shots that are either high-danger shots or shots in general at their goaltender. But it's still incumbent on the goaltender to stop those shots. So the quality of your goaltender will play a huge role there, where on the other end of the ice, it's more skilled guys like Eichel, for example, that can create significantly more goals, and it's incumbent still incumbent on the forward who's creating the play to make sure that those goals happen. I feel like you're not relying on anyone else. Where so right. I just feel like right and and no go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just well. Say, yeah, I, I was just going to say you know, yeah, and, and such a high percentage of the game is not played in either zone, uh, and that's that's something that's kind of um, I think a misnomer, or at least it's it's played in each zone, but not neither team has real control over the play. I mean, if you think about a hockey game, most of it is who's sort of, um, you know, what's happening in the neutral zone and then what's happening in those first few seconds after the puck is in the offensive or defensive zone. That is a big, a big determiner of, you know, of, of what's going to come afterward. We know this from looking at things like a zone exit leads to a zone entry with control and a zone entry with control leads to X percent more dangerous shots. I mean, th- those are things that have been looked at. So, you know, I, I think you made a great point in saying uh, that defensemen have more of an impact. I'm sorry, um, defensemen have less of an impact on what happens in the defensive zone as forwards do in the offensive zone, and I think that's just it. And I would add, forwards have it a lot to a, a lot of an impact of what happens in the defensive zone as well. Um, and if I can give a Sabres example, we talk a lot about defensemen having to make a first pass, right, or having to make a play answer. And while that's very true it still doesn't really get you anywhere without a, a forward who can pick the puck up and then take the next step. And that next step I think is more important when Jack Eichel's on the ice, you have to have a defenseman that can make the first pass, but he's going to cover up a lot of those mistakes. And when you have a defenseman on the ice, uh, when you have Rasmus Dahlin on the ice with a dump and chase line, unless he's carrying the puck, from one end of the ice to the other, which defensemen don't really do, he does not have control over the end of that play in the way that Jack Eichel does. You know, and that's just in that neutral zone area. So, again, I, 
I think one way to work around this, if you say, well, you know, we've invested in our defense and now what do we do? I think the one of the answers is you really have to be willing to cut your players loose positionally and say the best players on the ice are going to do the most important things. And the, I mean, you know, you guys know I love them, but when the Larson, Gergensen, Doc Post line is out, then Rasmus Stalin should do the zone entries, you know, um, or or the the neutral zone play, and you just need and that you need to be willing to do that if you want to have defensemen who impact the game at sort of a um, an elite level offensively. The other problem, of course, is once you are in the zone, it's just a matter of structure. Forwards are closer to the net. Defensemen are they, they stay at the point mostly. We know point shots are a low percentage outcome as compared to, you know, just about any other shot offensive zone. So that's that's another thing. But again, I, I don't want to discount the fact that that a lot of this, um, in my opinion, does also come down to the fact that right now coaches struggle mightily to even identify good and bad defensemen. Yeah, and uh, another thing I think is interesting is the way – uh we talk about stanley cup champions each year it seems like whoever wins the stanley cup kind of defines the way we talk about what a good team should be next year especially since the sabers are almost always a bad team that this is who you should emulate and i think there was a a talk for a while about as in every sport because i think there's like an inherently conservative nature to sports media uh coaches and all that that you should be more defensive so people love talking about defensemen or how important they are but i think there was an interesting shift halfway through this decade where in the 2015 playoffs, uh, the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. Duncan Keith was playing 31 minutes a game, obviously won Conn Smythe. And you had Seabrook at 26 after – long after he should have been playing 26 minutes a game. And then also Jomerson and Odia right. 26 and 24. And because Michael Roosevelt had gotten hurt and Kimo Timonen was a huge disappointment, they just essentially didn't use a third pairing. So their third pairing was Timonen and mm-hmm. a guy named Kyle Kumiski, came up from the AHL. And they played less than 10 minutes a game. And they got shelled when they played, but it didn't matter. They won the cup anyway. When The next right. year. Right. The and they were probably – and they were able to match it and play fourth lines, and that getting shelled yeah. really is not a lot of danger. So, yeah. Yeah, so the, the idea of having defensive depth is kind of blown up there. The next year that you have the Penguins win the cup, you basically have Latang and a bunch of dudes. Trevor Daly, Brian Dumoulin, Ben Lovejoy, Ole Mata, Justin Schultz, Derek Pouliot. Chad Ruido, right? That was the next year. <laughs> okay. but he didn't. He didn't play much either. Sabres year. legend. So I remember thinking the, that year, like, well, the next year. The, yeah, I, I was thinking that with this year in, in 2016. I was thinking like, well, you can win the cup uh, with a bad defensive core if you have that one guy who can take on the 30 minutes, and it really carries your defense for the whole game. But then that's blown up the next year because Latang misses, and then they just basically have that right. defense without Latang with a lot more Justin Schultz, Ian Cole, and Ron Hainsey. And then they win the cup like that. And then the next yep. year, the, the, the Capitals win the cup with, uh, again, not all that impressive of a defensive core. Mm-hmm. So I think – and it just seems like there was no – there was no, like, big conversational change on that. It was just like, oh, well, that happened, I guess. And there was no real, like, contending with the idea that people had for all these years is kind of wrong, and you could win the cup without that. And obviously the Blues last year probably had a stronger blue line. But uh, is that something you noticed at all, that really strong teams now don't – feel the need to have six good defensemen? Well, yeah, no, I think what they look for would be either um, a few a few players they can rely on um, in really clear, consistent, difficult roles. That would be the uh, Duncan Keith, 
uh, Nick Jalmerson model. Nick Jalmerson is like one of the most extreme defensemen in the league. He is maybe the best defensive defenseman in the league. So um, they basically said, we'll split up the duties. We're going to only play the important defensemen. That's one way to go. The Pittsburgh model, I would say, first of all, um, I'm saying all this, and I will add Chris Letang, extremely underrated. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I think he certainly fits the mold. But as you said, the next year winning without him, they did have a number of defensemen who could basically do one thing, and that's get the puck to the forwards and get out of the way, right? And Pittsburgh obviously was loaded up with forwards. So, and, you know, you mentioned St. Louis. St. Louis certainly has had a good blue line last year, but St. Louis didn't really win anything until they traded for Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> um, right, true. And, you know, I don't think that that's a coincidence, right? So um, I think that there's a limited ceiling to a team built around a blue line. Nashville is an example of a team that heavily invested in their blue mostly just by drafting really well. <laughs> um, and, and so maybe not even by design. And, you know, Nashville made a run to the cup finals, so you don't want to discount that. They also have a number of forwards who I think are, are quite a bit underrated. But I think that you kind of see with them sometimes the limits of what that can offer, that there are stretches of time within a season where they don't score at the rate that you'd expect. You know, they fired a coach this year because of underperformance. So, um I, I don't know. I think that team building, looking at team building and saying, well, this team won, so now what did they do? That's the new trend. I think that can be a little bit, um, that can send, send you down the wrong road a little bit because there's always going to be teams, especially in a sport like hockey, where it's very random, that they're built in a totally different way than where the trend is going, and they can still win. You know, <laughs> like it can just yeah. happen. Um and 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 so, but I, if you look at the the picture, I think the point I ultimately was trying to make was, you know, how much do I want to be investing in players on the blue line if I don't know I have a coach that can properly pick who those players are? And the example I kept using um, over and over in terms of contract assignments was, you know, last summer the sort of butt of everybody's joke was look at how much Kevin Hayes got. What an overpayment. I thought to myself, I mean, you look at Kevin Hayes career and you say, what, you know, what did he get paid? And I'd ask you right now, would you rather pay Kevin Hayes that contract or Rasmus are still lining five and a half million? Kevin Hayes, you know, (laughs) right. Neither of them are, neither of them are good contracts. But I think if you consider something like this to say, who is directly impacting the game, even if it's if they are not playing up to their level, up to their contract, who is better affecting the game positively? And I will always overpay a forward over a defenseman. You know, that's 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 like the example I use. And then the other part of it being, I think it's part of a conversation of what do you do with Rasmus Dahlin? Don't worry, I'm not saying trade him. <laughs> but I think this that it's just, just in, folks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, I gotta go. Um, <laughs> But I think that it's important that if we understand this, that when you're looking at, at a player like Dallin, who, my God, it's like it's a, he's going to be a huge investment. No matter what happens, what you do with him is a huge investment. I, I made a point the day prior where I was kind of starting to percolate on these ideas and saying, I don't really know if I want to extend him this summer. And people thought that that meant, oh, you want to bridge him or what do you want to do, trade him? And all I was saying is I just want to go another year because I would like 
in my ideal world, <laughs> I would like to see some understanding of, hey, to maximize this guy's value, we've got to use him in a different way than just saying, go play your left side, cycle the puck at the point, get your point shots through, and we'll pay you $9 million because you have X number of points. I mean, we know that there's, there's a tool, there's a package there that really needs to be unlocked before I, you know, before I can say, is this a player who can affect the game at a, at a level that's not typical of a defenseman? And I think it's really cool we're talking about this today. So I don't know if either of you caught the game last night, but the Marcus Johansson goal is the perfect example. The play he makes to set that goal up is not a play defenseman usually makes. And if he's doing that consistently, that's worth a lot of money. Right. Yeah, I think it, a, a lot of what this conversation in a way boils down to is, you know, a high-scoring offense can overcome poor defense as compared to a really good defense being able to hide the fact that you have a, a crap offense. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of like the, the summation of what you take away. I, yeah, I, I also think like that, like kind of like what I said before, uh, a lot of these defenses rely on decent goaltending or at least a really good system. Like yeah. the Islanders for the second straight year are going to be pretty good. And weirdly, they've scored five goals in two straight games. I'm obviously not going to keep that up, but until recently, or maybe still right now, they were below the Sabres in total goals on the year. They mm-hmm. might have passed them this week with those performances. But the reason they're good is because, like, either their system or trots, or maybe maybe it's the goaltending, uh, allows that. So, like, they just consistently can allow, hold teams to two goals or fewer a game, which is something that I don't think anyone else can do consistently, but it seems like they can. That doesn't seem like a good model to, to kind of build off of because – you have to rely on being able to have a good goalie and also a good system. And also, I guess, no team's yeah. kind of, you know, going off against you in spite of your good defense, uh, especially as we move into a more offensive-focused era these past couple of years. But for the most part, I think anyone else, like, yeah, you'd, you'd much rather, you know, win a 6-5 game than, than to try to – you'd much rather try to come back uh, if you in, – in a game with a good offense than if you – then try to hold, like, say, a Tampa Bay team that's firing all cylinders to two goals, I would say. Mm-hmm. And also well, I see to, your point about that. Oh, I was just going to add, the Islanders only have four more goals for this season than the Sabres do. Yeah. And, so and your remarkable. point about the Islanders is, is they're a defensive team. They don't give up. You know, they, they win based on goal suppression. And do they have a single defenseman that I – can think of off the top of my head without having to stop for a few seconds. You know, that They don't have a, a minutes eater. Uh, they don't have a, an all-star defenseman. They have a handful of decent defensemen. So, um, And Barry Trotz is someone who uh, we are going on almost a decade of his teams overperforming what you would expect in terms of goals for and goals against, holding being good. There's certainly something going on there with his system. Um, and maybe with his allocation of minutes. But I think the other thing the Islanders embody, which I'm kind of referring to here, is the importance of uh, not forgetting that your defense also involves three forwards. And, um, you know, I think that that's something the Sabres have, you know, Ralph Kruger has done a pretty good job with this year. Pretty much across the board, um, I'd have to try to think, aside from, like, the guys who are already good, the forwards who are already good defensively, like Larson and Gergensen, who have just stayed at the same level, 
he's pretty much gotten defensive improvements in terms of these kinds of impacts from every forward on the team. And I don't think that, that that's a coincidence. I think that it has a lot to do with a system and a coaching change and probably a mentality. Um, but, you know, how much of that has come at the expense of offense? And to that point, can I replicate a system that has good defensive results from my forwards while also having some more forwards with offensive talent, if, you, if that makes any sense? Totally. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so, And that's why even a player like Jake McCabe, who has really good defensive results this year, believe it or not, in terms of shot and chance suppression, I look at and I say, that's an expendable player still because the offense is so poor. And, and I'm basically getting a system that is – I'm in a system where I'm getting these kinds of bumps from almost every player, um, pretty much across the board, including defensemen. You know, so I just think it has to do with – then we come back to like, well, if I can get a system that can make Jake McCabe into a player who has good shot suppression um, impacts – why am I taking Ryan Johnson in the first round? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's a great point. Um, yeah. And it, it does seem like uh, in the draft, one of the ways you can be successful in the later rounds, where there's really no formula or rhyme or reason. But one thing that seems to work is taking flyers on guys who are high scorers, but don't seem to be good at much else, or they're late bloomers and high scorers. Something like just as someone who's puts up a lot of goals or a lot of points, what a shame that there wasn't like playing. five of those guys sitting there at 31 that they could yeah. have taken well, I, and I, opted for Ryan Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've said this before, but like the, the guys that succeed from the mid rounds, like Tampa Bay has done this, I don't know how many times this past decade, and they're doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, taking a defenseman like Ryan Johnson in that spot, that's, that's the kind of thing dumb teams bad. do. Bad. Yeah. Bad. Given what was yeah. on the board at the time. And I feel bad. I, you know, I feel bad personally. He, he might. He's kind of like he and, and Samuelson are like the whipping boys for this. It's not their fault, obviously. They're 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 nice prospects, but you know, if if you were like, well, I put you in charge tomorrow. What are you doing? I mean, I realize that you there are always exceptions to this. I would have taken Rasmus Dahlin first, everybody. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty much I'm pretty much saying it's we're taking forwards. We're taking forwards in the early rounds of the draft, and I will find my defenseman in Europe as Euro free agents, I'll make trades and signings. I will find undervalued guys on other teams and I will develop the players I do have to have these specific skills that do impact the game, you know? And, and it, the thing that was always the most frustrating to me on Johnson was like best case scenario. He has a career that approximates Lawrence pilots who you got for free. <laughs> you know? Right. And don't that's even seem to that's, want. That's such a great point. That's <laughs> yeah. such a, whereas if you were to go for right. a guy like Brink or Kylev or Robertson with that pick, I mean, what's your what's your best case scenario there? A potential thirty goal scorer, you know? It, it's it's a first line player. You, yeah. If you hit on them, it's a first line player. And and that's not to say you can't find forwards in Europe European free agency. You know, Rutzelainen I think was a nice move. Um, I think he could be a nice player. But he's he's probably a third liner. That's if he works out at best case scenario, you know. Um, and sure, like your second round, a bunch of those guys forwards taken in the second and third round are never going to become anything. Uh, that's just the nature of drafting. But the same thing can be said of a bunch of the defensemen. You know, we have this idea that 
taking a defenseman there is safer. They're more likely to be a good player. It's just really not the case. Every player, you know, taken after a certain pick in the draft is kind of a crapshoot. So if you're if you're in a position to build your team and you got a low percentage chance of success on whoever you pick, then I think you ought to be picking the guy who, if they do hit, that ceiling is going to pay off big time. And those are the guys you just mentioned, you know, from this just this one pass draft. Right, and right. Tampa's like Tampa basically was doing that for seven or eight years with the added element of saying, we'll also just take all the small guys who score a lot because teams pass on them even more and we'll get yeah. Tyler Johnson and we'll get Yanni Gord. We'll get Braden Point. I mean, like half of their roster, the people we care about. <laughs> right. No. You... And of course, Tampa, Tampa's interesting because they also, I mean, they're so great. They also have one of those defensemen who's probably an exception to all of this, right? They have Victor Hedman, who is excellent. Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant when I started by saying you do, you do need both elements. And the argument would be that if you find your way into a defenseman who can impact the game at a high, high level, then you should be throwing all of your resources at your forwards. Very true. Yeah, well said. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Once again, be sure to go follow him on Twitter at NTRider825, NightRider825, NTRider, whatever. Whatever you you want it to be. Exactly. Whatever you you call him, just remember, it's our our little St. James correspondent, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Just just don't uh, ever – you can tune in once a week to see uh, Taylor and I crack jokes about the latest bs report uh which is a podcast we both hate and listen to daily the hate yes, listen i yes. love it that's it's, a, it's one of the smarter better uses yeah. of our time <laughs> yeah yeah we like to poison our own brains so. yes. we're sabers fans it just comes natural to oh us. yeah <laughs> all right good. well once again right. kevin thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate it yep thank you guys Absolutely. And we are going to take a quick break to listen to this ad from our friends at MyBookie. As you guys know, there's no other sport like hockey. From the fast tempo to the fights to the highlight reel plays, and there's no better way to make it more exciting than betting on it. By understanding the details of each team and game, you can turn that knowledge into cash with MyBookie.ag. Nobody gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie is the best payouts and better odds than any other sportsbook. And we wouldn't be telling you this if they weren't the best. You can risk a little or a lot in as many games as you want. So there are daily gifts, there's free plays, there's free spins, and more. If you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $100, you receive an extra $50 in free money to play with because math. Deposit $200, you get an extra $100. Yeah, you get it. So just use the promo code THPN to activate the offer and take advantage of this. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Blue and Goldcast and check out the Hockey Podcast Network at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. Once again, this has been Blue and Gold Make Darlene.